Welcome back to Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones. So this podcast started when I realised lots of people I knew had fabulous jobs and I thought, how did they get them? Was it luck, being in the right place at the right time, hard work or was it just something else? We've got loads of past episodes up there for you to listen to. Maybe you want to be a blogger or an actress or just want to hear some great stories. So this week's guest is Andrew Dawson. Andrew works with his brother Steve and friend Tim and they are the Dawson Brothers who are comedy writers and they've written so much stuff for telly you've probably seen it. Uh, From Big School with David Walliams to Anton Deck Saturday Night Takeaway. So much stuff they've done and I'll leave him to tell you all about it. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming to talk to me. We've already, before we pressed record, we've already talked about children being ill, yeah. holidays, yeah. Uh, dyslexia. We've yeah. covered it all. We have. But yeah. we, we want to talk about you. <laughs> That's all right. Um, what are you working on at the moment? Or is it all top secret? Um, well, not totally top secret, but some of the things you don't want to jinx them. And also you don't want to put too much out there until it's it's definitely happening. We've done a, um, for, for Sky Arts, they have a series called Urban Myths where they take stories that, sort of rumoured to be true that they can be a bit um, uh, generous with the truth but uh, they it's the third series and we've co-written one with David Williams which is called The Trial of Joan Collins and it's basically about the time in the mid-90s where she um, she she was sued by her publishing house um, because she'd been given a big deposit to, to write a couple of books and when she turned in the manuscript they said it didn't constitute a book it wasn't Clear enough. So it's quite an interesting thing as a writer to write that. You're constantly going, is this any good, what I've written? Whose idea was it to well, it was, do it was, that? It, it's a story that's always fascinated David himself. So when he, he was talking about it, we talked about around a few angles of how we might tell it. It's very good. It's Victoria Hamilton plays Joan Collins, and it's been directed in a style that's very like Dynasty. So it's, it's quite told in quite a soapy <laughs> sort of American soapy way which is which gives it another melodramatic sort of tone yeah. but but it was is the first thing we've ever adapted and that was quite enjoyable because you're not you're just trying to find the way of telling it so a lot of the things we write you're coming up with everything from the start so characters and uh, and the world and the plot and the tone and everything so there's a lot of when people you get notes saying well could this happen you go well, yeah it could whereas with this it was much easier going well, no, this is what did happen. A new thing for you. Yeah. And, and when something like that is about to happen and it's coming on telly, do you sit there worried and sit there watching it or do you just switch off and just think, I'm just going to let it go and I'm going to forget about it? Um, sometimes, particularly if we haven't been so involved in the later stages, you want to see how it's turned out. But but this one will be interesting. It's been released on online first, so it's part of a series. So I'd love to see what people make of it. So it's you... very different. It's very different from what David's written before and what we've written before with him. And, and do you get to go on set much? It's tough. In, in the UK, it is different. And in America, pretty much the writers are there day one pitching the show. And if they're lucky enough to, to get a commission and show run, then they're there throughout the writers' room. It's like episodes, isn't it? They're Just like te- episodes. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's and then they're in the edit suite and they get to make decisions. And there is... Um, they have a lot more control and influence over it, which is, brings its own pressures, obviously. Whereas I think in the UK, there's, I mean, there's, there's a whole range of different things. And, and, and I think the more powerful a writer you are, the more people want you on set, but also you're able to say, I, I want to be on set. But in general, we we haven't, but you don't get paid to be on set, I would say, as a writer. Um, or you have to get your credit. You have to, There's different credits called associate producer or executive producer. If you can get it, you have to power again to do that. That mean you're getting money through other things other than writing which means you can afford to be there and part of your responsibility is to be there but if you're a writer I mean I, I know many British writers that just 
once the script is handed in, that's it. They wait till they see some cuts. And, and it could and, be completely different. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and the thing I do know from being on set is that often things get misinterpreted. I'll give you a little example of how crosswires can, can get. Is For a comic relief sketch we wrote... Um, it was a it was a bringing back Frank Spencer. So we we, we co-wrote it with Michael Crawford, oh, which was amazing. That. Yeah, and um, and Ray Allen, who'd done the original ones as well. And uh, he's going through London and on, on his uh, I think it was a bike at this yeah. stage, going through very random things. Lots of cameos. There was um, Roy Hodgson, who was the England manager at the time, and Arsene Wenger, and people like that, and Paul McCartney, even you know. <laughs> so it was insane. The people that because there was such love and affection for for um, Michael Crawford and Frank Spencer, we got some great names. One of the bits was they were there was an unveiling of the David Williams statue uh, by the Thames where he swam and he was you know he was um, milking that this this thing in the sketch and he sails through and knocks this statue over Frank Spencer does and so in the script we'd written there's a statue of David that is is there and when we turned up on set it was Michelangelo's David <laughs> was the statue and and of course if you're Coming up with the props and stuff there, you go, I read the Statue of David. Yeah, okay, yeah. the Statue of David, that's obviously. what it is. But it, take, it makes sense. But obviously it was one of those where you go, this isn't quite the jokes. And he's unveiling the statue of himself. So it was one of those where you can see how, from both sides, you can t- I can totally see how that was misunderstood. And I can totally see how we didn't write quite enough detail in that script. And being on Yeah, we, we, we had a, a, a fix around. We managed to rustle up a different sort of prop in there to, to do it but had it been that it would have been people watching at home going what I, I think I missed the joke there and, and, but so that see so when you're on set those the director often knows what's going on and obviously in film particularly directors across everything and whereas I think often directors pick up a set of six scripts with a few weeks to go and they'll know lots of it and they'll get lots of it but there's always a few details so when we did we, we filmed the sitcom Big School with that we co-wrote with David Williams and he was in um, because he was in the writing room with us the whole way through, every scene he was in, you had a writer on set that you weren't having so to pay for. There was the control was there. Yes. Yeah. So what we tried to do was every day he wasn't going to be on set, we would go in. But I mean, from a very practical perspective, that's us travelling into yeah, you're not t- getting paid. Town, get doing it paid. You get a free lunch. Yeah. Um, but those are days you could be working, and and obviously if it's a six week sitcom and you want to be there every day on set. That's a month and a half of not earning money. So it's really um, difficult because you want the control, yeah. and you want it to be right. But on the other hand, as you say, you're not earning any money. Yes. So, so it's, it's, there's three of you, I suppose. You yes, can do a rotor. And what we did, <laughs> what we would do is often we would send some one of us in while the other two are working. And I know um, on Peep Show, Sam and Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong would often have one on set and the other one writing the next thing. Right. Someone should have been paying them to be there and on set. Because <laughs> the other thing is you throw in other ideas, you, you come up with fixes when you are there that you get used a lot. It's not, it, you know, we, we've never looked for loads of money to be on set. Just a token amount, just cover our petrol. <laughs> We're there. <laughs> I think the but, free lunch is quite yeah, good. Yeah, the free lunch isn't bad and the yeah. lunch is good though. Um, you, you, because no, because you're never there, nobody knows you're the writer. So it's a very odd thing. In our early days, we would want to get on the set to, to see how it all worked but also to meet people and, and, and see it filmed the excitement of it being filmed and I remember working on a sketch show pilot that um, we, uh, we'd we written a couple of sketches that we went along to see them get filmed and um, we were we, they said oh do you want to be extras in this you can forget to invite them go yeah okay yeah. And do you know who I am but, but, but so what we were going like this is like in our minds it's like Alfred Hitchcock appearing a little cameo in the, in the background so we um, we went and we were in a queue with other extras and you know, as extras, you're you're sort of treated like props, really, yeah. as, as as we were, and so the prop the, the extras were sort of ch- chatting around 
saying, what is this sketch? It's so weird. I don't understand this. And we were just sort of keeping our heads down. Like, let's, not, let's not try to explain yeah. that we're the right. Let, that could get terribly embarrassing. But, but it was only when it got to the lunch queue and the, the, the producers were going, no, don't wait there. Come to the front of the queue. And the extras suddenly goes, oh, okay. These, these. But you felt bad then because I felt like this is the extras. No, we'll stay at the back and we'll, we'll wait our turn. And we'll but um, when I emptied my desk from my my day job when I went full-time writing, I've still got everything in a desk drawer ready to go. CD-ROMs. What is your day job? Uh, was. Well, Sorry, was. not is. Uh, so um, I started, I did business studies at university, which is completely unrelated to any of this. And um, I didn't know what I wanted to do straight after. I didn't apply for any sort of the, the milk round job, you, you know, going mm-hmm. straight into work. And so I had a summer working in a bar in Oxford, which is where I met my wife. Uh, and then I... Gradually, in that autumn, started thinking, okay, I should start applying for jobs. And so I went through a few careers. Um, I went back to my university careers magazine. There was a thing for an advertising job, which was not the glamorous end of advertising, I would say, but it was called a TV buyer. And I just saw TV and thought, well, it sounds fun. Yeah. Whatever it is, if TV's in the title. It'll get in the, me in the door, maybe. Yeah. And at that point, did you ever think, I, I'm not sure I really want to be doing this, I really want to be writing? Well, well, I, I suppose I should jump around in the, the, the working with Steve and Tim first is that we um, so Steve obviously I've known since he was born because he's my younger brother so I met him in the John Radcliffe a long time ago and, um, I hope it was a, a nice first meeting when my it, sister met me she wasn't pleased that I turned up she wanted a rabbit instead well <laughs> well, I, I, weirdly it's my sort of my first memory so I'm just under two and um, but I remember being taken away from watching the Muppet show oh. and it was really annoying <laughs> And you know the thing start, where you give you, you get a sibling to give a present to the other thing, and, and my bro- somehow he'd rustled up a Kermit the Frog toy that he gave to me. So that's I was like, good. okay, he's all, yeah, he's he's into the same things as I am. He's a clever good. brother. Yeah, he's, yeah. That's good shopping when you're yeah, zero. Exactly. So <laughs> and weirdly, jumping around a lot, we worked with a lot. We worked on a Brian Henson show some years later uh, called That Puppet Game Show, and we did go on set to that. To, absolutely desperate to, to be on Childhood to see dream. some of that and we were working with some of the puppeteers and I'd, I'd looked up what episode was on the day he was born and it was a, a country singer called Roger Miller who I'd never heard of was the guest show so we were able to look up clips of this so when we were talking to some of the puppeteers we were saying oh yeah I, I told the story and said, oh I remember Roger Miller yeah he was a lovely guy and they could remember things about that specific episode so wow. it's this weird thing that, that that show I was watching then you went to work on it together yeah so worked, worked with the people that had worked on that show it was, uh, and we've had lots of those little loops as we've gone but so to go back I met Steve in the John Radcliffe and then <laughs> um, and so Tim Tim, we, we grew up in basically the, the, in Abingdon in, uh, we lived not far from Tim but didn't know him when, um, when we were kids and then uh, Steve, Steve, two years younger than me, and so is Tim. So they were at school together from eleven. And what happened is they, pretty much the first summer, the hol- first few holidays they came back, um, we would hang out and we would make just videos. We loved watching, we loved trying to recreate action films and stuff, and it ended up being funnier than it was, uh, <laughs> than it was intended to be. So that was where we ended up doing sort of slightly spoofy things as kids. But you know, we were like eleven, twelve, thirteen, and Often that would, we would put aside a day. Let's just film something, and we'd make it up as we go along. There was no script. It's a parents' was... dream, though. You were so busy in the holidays. Well, it, there was no, I'm bored. It, was that? It was, yeah. And I think, in a way, that that is a good thing is to learn how to deal with being bored. And it's harder these days because there's a screen that's always there. There's so much to do, and it's yeah. the same for all of us. I think you know, there's so many other easy things to do to entertain you. Whereas was it when it was six weeks and 
right, well, there's not a lot to do. You're going on holiday this week. But also you could go out on your bikes and whatever yeah. a bit more than you can now. But, um, but we would, like, dedicate a couple of days to filming whatever it was. And they were short films and they, you know, some would be a minute long. Often with the credits would be like five minutes long because we'd film, we'd <laughs> write credits on the computer and then just keep clicking on the scroll button and film the, the thing. But it was all about trying to recreate what we saw and what we liked. And in doing that, we learned things. But it, 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 we just ended up doing it a lot. And, and, the, um, and again, going back to the where did it all go right, I think having a brother that I could do that with that was close enough in age. And obviously we, we, we fought and argued as kids and stuff and probably still do now but um, but having Tim there was good because it meant you had a a middle man yes and also someone you didn't want to have a ridiculous fight in front yeah, of and yeah. also you had a casting vote as well which was helpful three's a good number isn't it it is it, it, in everything except for splitting the money three's a good oh, number yeah. um, that's not so you didn't think that you didn't think that one through <laughs> yeah. did you no exactly um, but oh. um, do you think you would do what you're doing now if you hadn't got your comfort blanket almost of the, of the team of the three of you I would say almost definitely I wouldn't be doing it because um, I think you needed some people that didn't think it was stupid <laughs> <laughs> And that you were kidding yourselves and what, you know, yes. So, but when you decided then that you were going to get this TV bio job, yeah. so what was your brother doing at the time then? He, he was still at university. Okay. So was Tim. And I, I, not my, my story to tell totally, but I'll, I'll dip in a bit with it. But, they, but Steve, Steve, because we did all these films, he was always interested in computer graphics and TV. And he went to Bournemouth University that have amazing media resources and stuff so we did once he'd got the keys to the cupboard there we did then go to a couple of holidays where we would go and use the Bournemouth stuff <laughs> literally to the things. keys yeah, to the cupboard literally, like, literally. breaking in at night but once he'd got the trust and it was like no one was using it in the summer so we'd go right okay well, let's go in and he'd worked for their they had a little sort of um tv station there student one that he was quite involved with at that point and so it was like we we were able to film things that were bit better quality than we would Proper have stuff. and it felt a bit more like a serious thing then and Tim was at Cambridge doing um he, he never did any of the comedy stuff there the footlights he, I mean again it's his story to tell but I think he he went along to you know the society's group and saw the footlights and just thought who are these nerds I'm not getting involved with them and I think one of them was Richard Iwadi was trying to recruit so he miscalculated that one he could be doing much better than he would with us do you know what there's so many people I've spoken to who've said I didn't I went to Cambridge or I went to Oxford and I didn't do the footlights I felt I didn't belong and I did this thing on the side and it's often doing the things on the side that seem to work I never at school I never did drama uh, or I never really was into those side of things, even though we were doing this in the back. And then when, so when did you jack in the, the, the proper job then? When, was it when the others graduated and said, right, we're going to do this so, as a job? So, so what happened was we, um, this would be, so I, I, I did this job in advertising, which was, was really, it was buying advertising space for different clients for an advertising agency. So it was a lot of, it was a bit like being a stockbroker, but for much, much less money, <laughs> but a more interesting currency, I would say. Yeah. You're buying, I want to get my advert for, aerial washing powder in Coronation Street so you would get to know which shows and and actually what it did do subconsciously or consciously possibly was you got an idea of what the TV channels how they worked what audiences they were catering for so you got a slight commercial understanding which which is useful just to if you're purely creative and you're purely artistic if you're very good you'll get away with it but I think you you need to slightly commercialise sometimes to understand even just to understand what are they looking for and how will Mm. they view this 
Um, so in a way, you were doing training, even though you weren't sure you were doing yes, training. Yes. No, at the time, I didn't know it was sort of market research. But also, I mean, I justified that I could watch lots of telly at home, which what, what genuinely was, like, you, you needed to know what you what was on and what was coming up. So and that I'm, you got your training, you got your savviness, and yes. then you passed it on to your brother and to, <laughs> and to Tim well, as well? Well, Tim actually ended up working at the same age. I got him a job there a couple <laughs> of years later when he came out. He, he threw away his Cambridge degree in chemical engineering. And oh, no. But it was an enjoy- I mean, as jobs go, this, it was um, it was an enjoyable first job, and it was a nice environment to be. You did get to go to launches and stuff. So I remember the ITV program launch. Harry Hill was presenting, and Ricky Gervais did the the, um, the Channel Four one at the time. So you got to see. You felt like you were close to it, but in actual yeah. fact, you, from the creative side, you almost couldn't be further because it was a paper wall there. But you didn't sidle up to say Harry Hill or mm. Ricky and go, no. "I do a bit of comedy." Yeah. <laughs> well, at this point, we were. We were still making our videos, but I don't think we ever really felt that. But I did feel like there was points where I felt I'm not on the right side of the wall that I want to be. Mm. You know, if you go, I've been into the Channel Four building, but I wasn't going to the right room because I was going, to the <laughs> You're going the wrong rooms. way up the escalator. Yeah, exactly. And so um, it was weird being close to it in a lot of ways, but a long way away from quite it. Quite frustrating as yeah. well. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, so how do you climb the wall? So well, you have to come in through the back door I think is the answer <laughs> so um, what what we were doing is we were still doing these videos in the background and they got better as and also I mean had we been had we been putting the, in an age of YouTube we would have put in putting these videos up and being panned on the comments and we would have given up a long time ago maybe not panned you well, might have been rated true, and possibly. loved well maybe but I think what was good was we were doing all those things if we were making lots of rubbish no one saw it and, and so it got better and so the, by the time people did see it, we'd got a lot of the bad stuff out of the system. But we, um, we'd we seen, you know, the, these competitions go by. BBC often have little schemes to send things in. And comedy uh, there were comedy lamps on Channel 4 where we um, they, they would ask for submissions from... Mm. I mean, still, those were more from production companies, but they would allow outsiders in. So there were these schemes that would come up now and again. And we would often see this, should we do it? And we'd never get our, our ducks in a row to, to, to get things sent in. And then finally one came up in 2001, uh, which was the, the BBC ran a talent scheme that I think it was for new stand-ups, new sketch writers and performers and uh, animation, I think. And But the stand-up one was won that year by Alan Carr, I think. Okay. So so and, yeah. and there were really good people in that yeah. time. And then we sent in, because we're not great performers, which is why we're only writers now, <laughs> but we would be in the things we did. So we filmed three sketches and because... Steve had some some um, technical knowledge, and because we'd made a lot, we, we were able to be a bit more... It looked better than it should do, mm. what we made. So we sent in three sketches, and then this was while I was still doing the advertising job, and we got a call saying, you've made it to the final six, we want you to come into the BBC and refilm these sketches prof- professionally. We thought they were professional, but obviously not. <laughs> and um, and so we were asked in, and, and, and the first thing I did was tell everyone at work oh we've got this thing we're getting a day I need a day off work I'm going to jack it all in bye everybody the stupidest thing I ever did retrospectively is because what it meant was every time I slacked it looked like I wasn't I was slacking off I wasn't slacking off but every time there was a reason they could go well you've got your mind on these other things you need to focus on your job so which which will lead on to something else (laughs) another story in a minute but um so we had a day filming. The producer was a guy called Shane Allen, who just happens now to be the head of comedy at BBC One. But he was a young producer then. He he sort of held our hands through that day because we didn't know what we were doing. We filmed uh, 
we'd film these sketches with us doing it. We'd rehearsed our lines a lot to try and be as good. We weren't in it loads, or I wasn't in it loads. Steve and Tim are better performers than I am, but still, we were a bit awkward. But I think what they saw is we had um, the idea. There was good ideas there, I think. And, the potential. Yes. And they were judged then by um, two, two writers, Anil Gupta, who'd worked on Goodness Gracious Me, who I've never met, but and Phil Clark, who've met lots, who was the head of comedy at Channel 4 for a while, but also before that he produced Peep Show and he produced Big Train, which was one of our favourite sketch shows. And he, um, we, didn't, we didn't win the competition. It was up in Edinburgh, it was all announced. And um, we, did, we didn't go. because You don't want to win. Her. Look at Will Young. Mm. He didn't win the pop <laughs> idol, did he? Yeah, One Direction, that's the one. What <laughs> yeah, did the public of know? Course. What did the public know? Yes. But, um, and then uh, basically we, every little open door we had, we tried to wedge a toe in it. And we got in touch with Phil afterwards and, and, and Shane. And basically said, what now? What do we do now? Hoping that there was a system that would just go, oh, once you're in, you're, yeah. you're in. We'll just take you on. Yeah. You don't have to work again. And we'll pay Didn't you work. lots of money. Didn't work like that. No. But Phil was good for, we would go in and have a coffee. He would grant us half an hour. He was great, in fact. And when he never, he, no need to do these things, he would just come in and we'd go and have a drink. We'd just ask him as many questions and try and keep the coffee going for as long <laughs> as possible. And he worked at Talkback at the time where, and it was... It's sort of early 2000s, so Ali G was being made there and mm. um, Look Around You and Alan Partridge. So it was like you would see people coming. We'd sit in the lobby for as long as possible just to see. <laughs> just set up camp. Exactly. Yeah, Get a tent. See people. <laughs> and, um, and Phil was great. And he offered advice on the way through. Of, and he gave us a window into what, how the industry worked and where we might be able to get mm. jobs and uh, what opportunities there might be. But really, um, we, so we, we kept making bits. And, um, you were still working. Yes. The other two were sort of... So they were working by this stage. When I... I, I got married a long time ago in 2002. And then I... Um, we moved back to Oxford to be close to the family. And just also because we wanted to buy a house. And London was very expensive mm. to do it. So um, what I did... I commuted into London for a couple of years. And then realised that I was just spending too much time on the train. And Steve was back in Oxford by then. And um, so I went for a job at Nielsen, which if you drive Market into research, Oxford yeah. ever, you know the Nielsen building. And um, it was a, it was a slightly it was a different job to what I was doing in advertising. What it meant is I could be in Oxford a lot more, uh, and I could we could do stuff I could, because my brother was back around. We could do stuff and coordinate more. More stuff. time for creativity. Yeah. But so- what what I didn't do at Nielsen is tell them that this was a moonlighting because I'd learnt my lesson from the other job. <laughs> is don't give them a stick to beat you with and let them know what's what's going on. How was your weekend? Fine, I just uh, was in the garden. Exactly. Not I that would, I was making comedy. Uh, but I would take... this By this time, we started to get a few paid jobs. And do you remember which your first paid job was? Yes, I do. It was... Um, well, we got paid for that BBC sketch thing. We okay. got £50 pounds, uh, in cash at the end I of the day. that felt amazing. Well, though. we didn't expect it. We, weren't, we didn't know. We thought it was just a competition. And so they had to pay us something, I think, some BBC thing. So we were given fifty pounds, and obviously, even then, it wasn't like it wasn't that significant. It's nice to get any fifty pounds, but for a day's work, um, I'd done a lot better paid jobs mm. in warehouses and stuff. And um, but still, just to get money for what you were doing, felt for what like you magic, wanted to for do, for what you wanted to do, yeah. I mean, yeah, rather, it was like, well, we had fun. We should pay you this, you know. So, but the first proper paid job, we we, we made a little video version of a pilot thing we were going to send in for Comedy Lab, and. Um, we said to Phil, oh, it didn't get made for Comedy Lab, but we'd got an email back from Channel 4 saying this was good and we liked it, so keep in touch sort of thing. But we said, should we... We said to Phil, we've filled this thing. Have you? Do you want to see it? And he said, yeah. And then... Uh, so we actually had to, you know, copy a VHS tape and send it to him. 
And for some reason, we didn't get round to it. I think we'd had a few little knockbacks and little avenues shutting, and we didn't think any of it. And after about two months, we had an email from Phil saying, oh, I haven't had that tape. Should it have come in? And what I now know is this never happens in TV. Nobody chases you in TV for the thing... But you for the speculative of, thing, you yeah. you harass other people, and for him to and looking at those moments where it did go right for us, he was a really important person. Yeah, the fact that he that he you know he would have been producing Peep Show at this point and countless other shows, and for the fact for him to go, oh, there was that, those kids that hadn't done anything were going to send me a VHS that I probably didn't really want to watch, but I should follow up on that. For him to do that, I think possibly that was one of those bits where we'd have all just carried on and. Just not done not any done bats. Um, but that little follow-up and a little bit of um, hope. It's yes, hope, isn't it? Was it? Hope. Yeah, it was like, oh, the, the door is not completely closed. Yeah. And we sent it in and he said, I really like this. And even if Channel 4 don't want this, maybe we can develop it as something else. So it's like, right, okay, the door's open again. Let's go in, get more coffees. We're fired yeah. up. And when that happened, was, there was another show coming up, a game show called Distraction that Jimmy Carr presented. So, But what we were doing was writing jokes for Jimmy Carr, one-liners. It was a thing we didn't know existed that gag sort of thing and um phil said to us look they're making this show they, they want new writers is that something you'd be interested in doing is writing jokes for these sort of shows um and we were like we'll write jokes for anyone that's willing to listen to us or pay for us and so we, it had, we didn't see ourselves as writers necessarily we didn't sell ourselves certainly as joke writers in that way but what we did was they said could you write some audition jokes for free so we did a few they said about this this and this or whatever and so we we wrote a lot more than they were asked for deliberately to go right well let's just give them more than they want to show a key just shower them with jokes and some of them they'll like and they and they said yes okay we'll invite you in for a writing day and at this point we didn't understand how the 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 mechanics of how these days work so they said well we asked for what what is this i said well you just come in 10 till 6 They'll tell you what to write jokes about, and at the end of the day, that's you done. And you're like, well, what if we don't write anything good? And he goes, well, they still pay you, <laughs> but they might not bring you back in again, I guess. But they'll pay you. So we were like, this is great. We don't, you know, if we if we don't come up with anything, they pay us. But we were desperate to please. So we we were worried that we would get sort of stage fright, essentially. Uh, so did you write some before? Yeah. <laughs> so we asked them in advance, what sort of areas? Well, just give us a few areas, and we spent two or three evenings the week before writing jokes for all those areas and this was this was pre-USB stick days this is floppy disk days we saved them on a floppy disk and I remember we turned up we wanted to show you a key we turned up at 9 o'clock to go yeah we forget 10 o'clock we're in line because no one else turned up till 10 o'clock <laughs> and also when they did turn up you can't really go oh we, we, yeah we've just been waiting for an hour in reception because we're so key so you can't say it so it was all for nothing um, but we went in and they put us in this room with the computer and stuff and first thing we did was download up download our 12 pages of jokes uh onto their document that they were getting us to write in you've never been so prepped for an exam or anything no no before. never never <laughs> but they never wanted something more than this in a way so that was exams i could never see what the next what whereas the benefit this, was whereas this, this it was yeah this is what you wanted to do so um we started with 12 pages and because there was no pressure on it flowed so we, I think at the end of the day, we probably gave them like 20 pages of jokes, which I've never done since, you know. <laughs> but the problem was, I, I mean, I'm not saying they were all good, but we, we've always felt quantity is something we can do, even yes. with quality. And then hopefully with quantity, you can pick out... And, we, and did you find that something like this then led to other things? Was it meeting people and having that, that brilliant mentor? It was, Phil was like a mentor, yes. wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, no, he was, he was. And, um, uh, and I think if I cite any one person in our career, it's, he, it's him. And he may not 
from his side, he may not feel like it, but I think he gave us those little bits of hope that mm. we didn't need it, and encouragement when he didn't need to. He even introduced, I remember one lunchtime we bumped into, he was the head of comedy at Talk Back then, I think, and he, we bumped into the head of comedy at, at Hattrick, getting sandwiches at lunchtime. And he introduced us, he said, you should meet her, you should go, go, and, have, go and have a meet with her, because she's great. She, and you were just going, you're not being competitive, or you genuinely, you're doing things that are just very altruistic for yeah, us and it was quite rare to, yeah. to meet someone like that and to, 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 I, to open the doors for yes, you yes and it also makes you want to do that back later on which is nice you know but but so that did lead to other jobs i mean they asked us back because we'd written so much that day and that was a problem so obviously we had to do the same again and it was, it was <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to do some more before yes, we get down there exactly exactly because you don't want to we had to stagger it so we weren't quite writing as much every time and when you write together mm-hmm. do you um so there's the three of you we're talking about um, your brother is because he had all the technical knowledge you, yeah. you, you almost had the commercial knowledge but do you yeah. have a leader do you have how do you how would you describe the others yeah I mean I think it's tricky it, it depends which project it is but it's tricky because we all have the same background we're all been in the industry for as long as each other we all have pretty much well we do have identical CVs so it's not like there's one you go look I've if you're if when we're collaborating with other people, when you're collaborating with David Williams and you're doing a bit of character sketch comedy, you go. You do well, that. Do you know, I mean, I think we'll listen to the guy that did Little Britain. You know, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll take advice from him. So, and likewise, if there's other projects where we're collaborating and we've got more experience in one particular area than others, then we can we can take a lead. But within us, I think it's taken a while to find out how that works. When it's our own projects, it's tougher. And I think sometimes we'll certain things will be more someone's idea than than another's so then you can do it but we have to be just quite democratic with it um which is good in some ways because it means that no one's overruling anyone else but it, it what you probably lack is that singular vision perhaps sometimes it's more a collaborative vision what you have to get used to very quickly is not being too precious about things so you talked about how you've got the competition and then you got yeah. your first sort of paid gigs and yeah. got your bits and your bobs and you had your mentor but how do we get to see you writing your stuff on Comic Relief and Red yes. Nose and Saturday Night Takeaway? So, so um, I, we're jumping around. This is we a, are. This is a night. This is this a. This is clever, not very linear, is it? No, but I was going to say it's a very advanced sort of narrative structure, <laughs> of flashbacks. And, yeah. uh, As a writer, this yeah. is probably very bad. It, no, no, I think it's very, very interesting. You know, we're, jump, <laughs> we're jumping through different timelines. And stuff. Um, so I was at Nielsen, and um, the work was beginning to build up. Uh, we were beginning to get asked for more things. I was using holiday time, so I was actually not getting much holiday because I was using holiday time to try and develop this and weekends and things. And um, it got to the point where we, I think I went up to one of the, to the Edinburgh festivals um, and to watch my, I think my brother was working on a show there helping with the technical side of one of his friends. And um, uh, and I watched quite a lot of the comedians and they, you know, when you go up there, they've, a lot of those people have invested a lot of money and t- they've given up a month plus all the preparation. Mm-hmm. They have often spent a lot of money of their own money. And um, it's like, it was inspiring in good and bad ways. In that It was inspiring to see how good some people were. And it was inspiring to see how committed some people were that I thought, I don't, I don't think you've got enough to do this. Imagine, I wish I was as brave as to throw thousands of pounds onto <laughs> this. Than, than you. So in a way, I went, I went back home thinking, oh, well, if a lot of these people have taken the plunge and I think we're further down the road and also have better prospects perhaps than some of these people. And, and that's not knocking them. I, yes. I, I think you need to commit at some point. I thought perhaps if this is going to be a thing and if this is ever going to be a potential career, then I'm going to need to make a commitment like these people have. Mm-hmm. And perhaps 
it's not as big a reach as some of these other people that are trying. Mm. But what did so, your parents think? Because they've got two sons who are doing yeah. maybe not quite the straightforward careers that a lot of people go for. No. Were, they, were they behind you? Uh, uh, well, they were, and they said they were, but I know differently, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, I, I think the thing is, they were very much... We, we'd got degrees, you know, we'd got um, fairly sensible degrees. I've got business studies, which is pretty universal. I was in a safe job, I was married, I, was, I had a house, I had a mortgage at that point. Um, and Steve was um, was doing sort of sensible jobs with his commu- his thing, and then I do think I look back. It's only with hindsight I look back and go, both their kids that they got on a safe track. They were just ready to wash their hands of us and think we've done our job. <laughs> and then we both thrown our jobs for something very risky and something very alien to them. I think they'd admit that as well. Is that you know we're not a we don't come from a creative family. Mm. Particularly my mum was a teacher. My dad worked. In, for, for computer companies mainly in, in later years but but the world of TV the world the world of writing of any of this was was very alien to the as it was us we you know we, we, we grew up in Abingdon in, in Peachcroft and stuff and there was no one we knew that had done this and, and but but going back to their reaction I think they were very I think they were very good at not letting it show letting it show <laughs> at least to start with and then and then I think um, also what they what I think probably what they're willing to do is go well they're in their 20s. I imagine this is what they were thinking. Let them have a go at it. See what happens. But also, they, they wanted to do even if it's against their instincts, uh, they wanted to see how it would work out. And and I think... But we'll come it's back worked to out it. well. It has. And I think they would still say... I don't know whether my mum would still say, but she go, she would be one saying, where did it all go right? I mean, we'll... We'll see. We'll see. We'll yes. see. You know, it's going well so far. But, but you know, the fact she, she might, she, she, she probably, she wouldn't admit that. But I think that's what she's probably. I, I think the fact you, that's what we think. You can say, well, today I wrote with David Williams. It doesn't yes. get much better than no. that. She must be pretty impressed no. with that. And we, no, she is. And there are a lot of things that have come back where there was, a, there was a particular moment. I think, think it changed. Is we the, the there was a moment when we'd written for written for a few sketch shows like Mitchell and Webb and Peter Serafin, which show we'd done, and uh, we'd worked, we'd done a couple of little bits with David Williams where we hadn't worked in the room with him but he'd seen what we'd written and they were making a a, a producer called Gareth Edwards who's another one that was really helpful through was making a one-off thing called The One Ronnie which was a Ronnie, a Ronnie Corbett Christmas special and Matt Lucas and David Williams were executive producing mm. and we submitted more again they asked us for three or four ideas and we wrote 25 yeah, exactly. uh, we, we, we'd written a sketch that was very two Ronnies and stuff called The Brain Surgeon Sketch which was with Sam Bain and that Jesse Armstrong as well for Mitchell and Webb and that had gone down really well. And a lot of people said, oh, that was like a great throwback to Because it was a cocktail party mm. sort of sketch. And so that's why we were asked to write. They said, can we have a bit more of that? And we came up with this idea that we called the Blackberry sketch, which was basically Ronnie Corbett goes into like a greengrocer's. And it had, it was Harry Enfield in the old brown coat. So again, he deliberately dressed to take you back to that era yeah. of sketches. And he comes in and he put Blackberry on the table and he says, my Blackberry's not working. And But what happened was weirdly is that, on the night that sketch, we went to watch that one, and we took Mum and Dad, and Tim took his parents. So it's a special one to they got to meet Ronnie Corbett and all this. And uh, but it went down really, really well on the night, and you felt it, it's not always at hands, but you felt in the room that night that was something special there. Mm. And Harry Henry Enfield was absolutely brilliant in it too, and he corpses at one moment in it as well, which you go, okay, we've got Harry Enfield to corpse. Such with that, it as well. was that for you one of the most sort of uh, proudest moments? Do you yeah. Think? yeah. Oh yeah, and and and. It, you, Sometimes you go to those recordings and and it doesn't 
come across on screen and you go away and you think oh that was amazing and you watch it back and it wasn't and there's other night there's other times you watch it in the room and you think oh that was all right and it comes across amazing on screen so you're never too you don't know for sure but it was that the green room after it's ben elton had written one of his producers sketches so he was in there and he came up and said nice things about it oh. and uh williams and lucas which we hadn't really worked with them at that point came and said what a good sketch it was and my our mums were in the green room just they they were they're awful in green rooms they're terrible between them because they just <laughs> they, go that's a famous person and my, i'm going to talk to them yeah and our dads don't really know faces they're really not bothered by, yeah. by it in general sometimes they are but but um so so that night felt special but then they put it up as a on youtube early as a teaser for the show and like a week before it was on on christmas a couple of weeks before and overnight it did a million views and it and it went huge and it went up to for a long time it was the the biggest bbc clip it went up to i think it's like 23 or 24 million so you're um, kind of saying i'm not sure it's gone right i kind of think that was a big well, moment that it went it really is, right. but ironically you know if you think it, it, from the outside this looks like a huge moment and it is a huge moment but i think financially you go <laughs> i think we were paid about you, you get paid by the minute for sketches so I think we probably got about 400 quid for that you know and, and you're, you're always going, thinking when's the next job what am I going to do next yes and um, so so to the, it was big at Christmas it rated really well I, th- it, I think the show was not Baf- BAFTA nominated and even like the sketch what was amazing about it was even when, when Ronnie Corbett died there were three sketches they showed on the news reports and it was Fork Candles obviously it was the mastermind sketch which is probably one of my favourite sketches of all time and they did show bits of the Blackberry oh. sketch. And that felt, I felt really bad about feeling good about that because <laughs> yeah. obviously there was this, this, it was really, it was sad and it was the end of an era with Ronnie. And we worked, we went on to work with him a few times on Comic Relief. In fact, I think we, he, he did a sketch that I think was his last scripted TV thing was, was something we wrote with David for him for, for Comic Relief. But, but for it to even, for, even, for it to even get close to, those other things or be included in the sentence was like okay we've left there's some tiny tiny mark you know that there is some trace of us there will be a trace of us you know uh that's really special and, and that it? was yeah. yeah and 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 to get to how we got into those things that did a lot of work for us that blackberry sketch because you met david williams and matt lucas yeah. and that led to to, to working with david later yeah. because i think i think what he saw was hopefully that there was a sort of a mainstream old school mm. tone to that, mm. but there was also a contemporary mm. side to it. And and so we, we, we had a couple of meetings with him and we worked on a pilot for Big School with him before, a script for Big School before. And it was a bit of a sounding out process of going, how's it going to be? There's three of us. You were basically creating a small writing room with yeah. the four of us. Yeah. And there's three we'll of us to get on with. Over the, over the keyboard. Not too much, no. <laughs> because, <laughs> again, when you've got the, the guy who wrote Little Britain... <laughs> yeah. you just and he's written all these just, books. You just laughed at all his jokes. Yes. But oh, no. exactly. exactly. Yeah. We still do. We still. Do. But um, but but no. You had a showrunner in that, and it also Big School was his idea that he said, "Can you do you want to help me write this?" Essentially, mm-hmm. rather. Other things subsequently have been more like four way things. But but what it did do is also with Ant and Deck. I don't know for sure, but they wanted when we started writing on Takeaway, they wanted to get a more sketch element into some of their shows. And Andy Milligan, who's been their writer for, for many years, and he's their main the, he's the main guy with the voice of Ant and Deck. They call, it, there was a newspaper article that called him their Brian Epstein, and I think that's very much <laughs> that's very much the truth. But Andy's been with them through all the shows everywhere. But he was he had another show on, so they needed someone to help with the Saturday night takeaway script. So Andy Andy knew us a bit, and um, we went in and did some practice days. Right, they wanted to have a bit of a, more of a sketch um, 
sketch part to their thing. So we ended up writing bits of their, even if it was just them on stage, we'd do more of a sketch thing, making it a bit more, trying to get that two on his... And would they get involved in what you'd written? What they'd do, amazingly, is we'd write, you'd have a script meeting on a Wednesday, we'd write three three possible little sketch intros for each show, and they would read them in the script meeting with everyone there without seeing it beforehand um, and just nail it every single time. And uh, they, they're they ama- they're just amazing at knowing what they do and, and selling it. And they wouldn't go, they wouldn't stop halfway and go, could we do this? Could we? Yeah. They, they'd give it everything on a read through to give each one the best chance. And then they'd go, right, this is the one we... They know exactly yeah, what they want. We'll go for this one, uh, but can we just do this or maybe bring in an element of another one? Yeah. And so... Uh, to the point where we, there was an American version of Takeaway that was made. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris was hosting it, and there was a team of Americans came in to watch a script meeting, and to see how the show works over here before they took it over there. And they did this. They read out the sketches for the first time, absolutely perfectly. You know, hit every beat, even though they were reading it the first time. And after after the Americans said, "So how many times have they rehearsed that before?" None. That is them just. Just their first time, time. Yeah. and they can they, they they can nail it. So so we got brought in on takeaway. I think to bring a bit of that that sort of old school to Ronnie's Morecambe Wise vibe to takeaway. And looking back, then it was it was that big sketch that was on YouTube. And yes, been, that was a massive yeah big and and, and thanks to to YouTube and yeah. technology that people saw it. And, and, and we made Ronnie Corbett go viral. And we went to um, we met Ronnie. His daughter was there, and she came over and said, "Just my, hi, I'm Ronnie Corbett's daughter. My, my dad wanted to just speak to you to thank you for for the sketch, you know, and how big it's got." And and he he, he just said to us, "Yes, I'm told. I'm told it's gone viral, but I'm not entirely sure what that means." <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like this great thing of he he didn't know that it was, but he yeah. he knew, but he didn't understand exactly why. But he knew 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 what a big thing it was. Um, so it was at that point you must have jacked your job in by then. If I'd hated my job, I would have had that flounce out moment of going right stick your job I'm going to... I'm working with Anton exactly um, <laughs> so so this was um, this would have been in 2005 2006 um, I decided I was going to go just go full on five days a week comedy writing and then a job came up at Nielsen that um, was three days a week and I think I was probably the first guy in his 20s to ever apply for a three-day week job and without getting into the gender stereotypes I think it was very much intended for a, a, a mum to work at you know three days a week yeah. or a or a father to, to look after the kids but it was not intended for someone who was moonlighting to, 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 to a bit comedy writing exactly. so a couple of my appraisals they'd said you're doing really well but you don't seem to have any ambition you don't seem to know where you're going and what you want to do and you need to do these things if you want to move on but everyone's happy and so basically I, I applied for this job and that was the moment Nielsen found out that I was moonlighting into this other thing and I think a lot of the penny dropped for them and go oh okay the holidays you being a bit distracted you perhaps not doing yeah. some of the, the career path work internally that you should be doing to move on um, and one of, uh, one of my best friends there who I, I still see Glenn was, is one of the funniest guys in the office and he when I said I've been doing this comedy right I felt most like I've been keeping this from him because he's really into his comedy as well and I said um I've been writing comedy I've written all these shows on the side and he goes you're not, you're not even the funniest person in the office <laughs> and he was right yeah I'm not I'm, but um, so I took I, I'd applied for a different three day a week job within the company but my boss who was uh, Dominic he was great and he just said no I'll make your job three days a week and we'll find someone to do two days perfect so, fit so I started by doing three days a week at Nielsen it was obviously 
like anyone doing part-time work it's a lot more than three days yeah. they get probably four days out of it yeah but um but what it did mean is that my bills were paid the very basics were paid and that comedy wasn't a uh, it wasn't going to be a be-all and end-all The, the pressure survival. was off, and, and in was. a way, when you're trying to be creative... Yes. Because there must be some mornings when you wake up and think, I don't feel very funny, I don't want to write a funny line today. There, there are, there are, and um, and I think, but also it's when it's your job, it's a very different... When any any hobby or fun thing turns into your job, it, it, there are aspects of it that, that change, because you have, it's not, you have to do it now. Um, so what was nice there was it was also the opportunity, it takes a while to snowball, if it is going to snowball, um, to build up those networks and so by doing two days a week it was like we could do I think we worked on the Friday night project for the first few months or a couple of months of it and then other things came up after a couple of years we were beginning to get asked to do a lot of stuff and we couldn't fit it all in and not long before so Steve and Tim went full-time from their jobs my daughter was born my oldest daughter was born then and my boss at Nielsen at the time then Set. I, he, well, he told me afterwards. He thought, "Oh, well, now he's got a child. There's absolutely no way he's going full time comedy." So we'll we'll be <laughs> we'll able to reel him back in. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, for that Christmas, building up to that Christmas, I just thought, "Give it is now or never." Sort of thing. Is if we don't, yeah, if we don't sort of make the most of these opportunities that are coming up, then that might go. That trial might go cold. So give it a year or two, and. So I put my list in, my boss was very surprised. But but by that time, everybody knew I was doing it. Everyone was on my side. Everyone would talk to me and, and your say stuff if they'd seen been, a credit. And your yeah. stuff had been out there. And yeah. people could see, you know, you've been writing with these big yes. names now. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the CV is getting some traction, isn't it? I felt it? very backed by the people at Nielsen. That, that yeah. I feel like they wanted me to succeed and, and do it. And it was, it was a lovely way of doing it. Did you feel um, scared, though? That, that January was very scary <laughs> because it was suddenly like you were everything you're generating all your work and uh, and also it wasn't you know building up from trying to turn a two day a week business essentially into a five day a week business and that was tricky because um, sometimes it's, it's in your hands and sometimes it's not so you're trying to do a lot of jobs that some come to you and sometimes you'd be busy for a while but then you have to be generating as a writer rather than a performer you can generate your own work a bit because you can say mm-hmm. right let's write our own script and then try hawk it around the production companies to sell it but there's no guarantee there's money for those so it took a while to build up and get momentum, but it but we we got there and um, we you know with three of us we have to take on quite a lot of work and what what we didn't do is get we've never been too precious about saying right we only want to do this kind we've done gag writing um, sketch writing narrative um, you've done award film. shows you've done yes all award sorts. shows yeah. uh, kids shows do you have a preference though do, you, do is there something in particular that you prefer um, writing for th- would well, you know what the the, the 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 nice thing is actually having a bit of variety to it. Mm. What it's meant is we've had experiences by not just being narrative. When when you get a show together and you get even if it's just an episode that's right, it's all come together. Is you feel really proud and it's really great. And when something like that Blackberry sketch or other sketches we've done fit fit into the you know just become big or, or when they get praised by the, the brain surgeon sketch we wrote for Mitchell and Webb it was only a few months ago. There's a show on UK Gold. Um, I think it's called My Favourite Sketch and Paul Whitehouse picked that one out as his favourite sketch I've worked with him once or twice he's been in the odd thing we've done but he's an absolute hero and particularly sketch comedy and then he chooses so, yours yeah and, and, and so it was um, and he, he said on this TV show I, it was one of those sketches I wish, I wish I'd written and there's moments like that that you can't buy and yeah. it's like for whatever the, the career success is those things where I go 
right, if it stops tomorrow and, and I get my CD-ROMs out from Nielsen again, not that they've got anything to play them on, I'm sure, but <laughs> but um, but I've got those. I've got those. And yeah. that's something that, that those those bits are amazing. And we, we've written for the Royal Variety Show, so the Queen has laughed. I've seen the Queen laughing at our jokes. Well, I mean, you can't beat that. Because she doesn't yeah. laugh a huge amount, No, she doesn't, she? no. And yeah. they often don't film when she does film. Because, <laughs> they don't film her when she laughs because... Were you often there? it gives away uh, were you know. at the telly going look she's laughing yeah. <laughs> yeah she laughed at that one but you so you there, there are things like that which you can't you know experiences that if we'd only ever done narrative some of those awards shows we've, we've, we wrote for Katy Perry on the MTV Awards twice which you just go I mean I tell my kids now, they understand it now uh, and they That's don't weird, can't, they but can't don't, reconcile it but, but you can't and you don't quite know how she's going to deliver it no. when you're writing for someone like that no, it's okay no. when you're writing for David Walliams because you know him and you've no, worked exactly. with him so, but and Katie also, Perry but I mean no one ever wins awards for, for, for presenting award shows like for, for being, being funny so you, it's always a hard gig to do but it's quite enjoyable working within the limits and also just those experiences of we saw you know we wrote for James Corden on the Brits and um, uh, for, for, for three or four years and um, he uh he, we saw Adele do someone like you before it was big in to an empty room and yeah. and those moments yeah and those things you just as I say it's the competition winner thing you know we've always been interested in TV and music and film and when you get these little things that you go it's going back to the, the being on which side of the wall you're on suddenly you're very much on this side of the wall and there's there's these things that very few people get to experience that. Oh, this means amazing. so much to me this means so much to yeah, me yeah it's so it's so joyful isn't it to to be doing something that like you say you feel like you're a competition winner yeah, yeah. and if anyone is thinking right I want to get on that side of the wall and I want to do what you're doing yeah. because you, I feel for you it was that the, having a mentor was a big thing and yeah. also working as a team and you know having that comfort blanket yes. in a way but it, it's it was getting your work out there wasn't it and, and did you yeah. network a lot or was it more just sort of Sidling up to people saying, this yeah. is my work. Well, there was, I, we were told, Shane Allen, who was that first producer who's at the, the, at the BBC Comedy Now, he, he told us early on, I'm sure he tells it to everyone, but persistence is key, which is one of those things is um, you have to keep trying. You can't harass people, but obviously, I think you have to be more of a, you have to do a bit more self-marketing now than you ever did, yeah. I think, to get started. Um, it's, it, it's easier to make stuff and get stuff out there than ever before because... You can do it on your phone. You can make it look much better than our stuff did with, from your phone. And you can put it out and an audience of millions potentially can see it. But equally, the queue's longer because there's so many people doing that. So I think it's about... Um, I don't know... Our path through... I mean, the other thing to say is... is to, the, again, moving through the timelines. We also sent a video into Takeover TV that Adam Buxton, yeah. one of your previous guests, did. And he, uh, and that was, a, theirs was a path that we saw. They made videos and silly videos. It was very much like us. And we, if you can, if you can see people that are ahead of you. And they're that, doing uh, it. Yes. You go, okay, that's, let's try and emulate what they're doing. Yeah. We, we didn't come into it from a writing perspective totally. It was more like we, they've carved something out here. There's a route in that we didn't know there was. And so emulate that. But we, if we were doing it again, I, you know, you need a bit of luck. You need those breaks. You need us to film, to have all the practice. I mean, there's, there's an old adage, isn't there, about, being, about luck being about preparedness and opportunity. Mm. So that when the opportunity comes, mm. you've got the script ready to send or you've got the video to show. And I think in a way, that's what happened with us was we'd done a lot of the practice without knowing it, really. We'd done a lot of the groundwork of improving, making our videos and stuff. So that when actually a competition came along and we got got our asses into gear, we actually we were match fit for it. Yeah. If you're doing it, you have to do it because you enjoy it. And if you're doing it because you enjoy it, 
and you get to 65 and it hasn't worked out you were doing you did something you enjoyed uh, but it is about a numbers game of opportunities because the one thing you can't control is where the opportunities come mm. but if you can try and you know our advice we were given and that we give to others is you know look at the shows you like and the things that you like and look at the producer's name and we used to try and guess their emails. We try. I think we sent a. I've vi- done that. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you look at a B- it's BBC. BBC is quite easy. It's yeah. Forename dot surname dot BBC. Some places, not, not always. No, some places do a bit weird stuff. Yeah. But generally, you're right. Sometimes there's ones or twos after. But yeah. have a guess though. Have a punt. Yeah. And 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 I think also producers when they're not in the middle of making shows, they are looking for new. It's easy to think when you're when you're not in the industry that you're pushing against a closed door. They do want the next writers and they do want people that are keen and they that everyone wants to discover the next thing and often they um they want someone that's keen and enthusiastic not someone who's bitter and uh, <laughs> weathered by it they all want someone and, who comes to a workshop and writes 20 gags before they even get yeah, there exactly with, yeah. a, with a floppy disk yeah exactly <laughs> but there's there there is a will to find those people but obviously you, you have to, the, the more ways you can find to get round the queue in a way is what yes. i'm thinking is if you can if you can send an email to a producer that isn't getting emails unsolicited if you can if you can say that they're great if you can say just can I come in for a coffee Mm -hmm. but you have to show them something you can't just say there are people that ask for advice from us that have nothing they just say I've got a great idea for a thing you go well what is it yeah you've got to do it you've got to write it and and show that willingness and that part of that is just to show to a producer yeah I I can do it and I uh, even if it's not the right thing it's showing I can write a script and I can write Mm -hmm. a voice if you could if you can at least send a link to them that a five minute short film or something will show them a lot and they don't have to invest a lot of time in it so yeah. so that's another way of doing it um but i think having something to having something to show what you're about rather than just saying i'm interested in yes what do you suggest because they're never going to give you the answers i was always hopeful that someone would someone in comedy would tell me when to give up my day job and now i look at it from here and if someone asked me that now i go god i can't give i can't make that sort of life decision for you you're going to have to do, do it yourself. yeah there's no guarantees and there's yeah. no safety net so um and it might not like. be right and you might have to dip in and out and mm. and then people i know have had to do temp jobs for a bit to, to go back you i don't think you can ever think it's a you know i thought it i thought it was a sort of a conveyor belt once you were on it you were there but i now know it's more of a treadmill where <laughs> if you don't keep running you fall off and and that's it you know so i i, I it, 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 there isn't a magic moment where you're suddenly in and this is where mm. where did it all go right makes makes people feel a bit twitchy because you, it, it presumes it has it will always be right but, but that moment with uh, you know with the sketch of your parents and everyone yeah. the whole the Ronnie thing I yeah. think you know that was a pretty pretty special moment that was the one where a couple of people emailed that to my mum and dad you, you know when when People would forward, well, still that generation do forward emails to each other of funny things. They got it forwarded to them by a couple of their friends that didn't know it was us. So they were able to email back saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually there when it was filmed because the boys did it. And that was the moment where I think my mum probably thought, okay, they don't have to be accountants now. You know, it's all right. That, that was it, yeah. And for you, what do you want to do next? You Working on films? Uh, yeah. Is everything top? You can't yeah, tell me I can't say what it is. No. We're, writing, we're writing a screenplay at the moment, which is off. We, we've written a couple sort of one on spec before which you know not get paid for ourselves and another one that was a smallish budget one that hasn't been made but made it at one point but this is our first bigger one that's with a, a bigger production company and and what's been nice is rather than jumping between lots of different jobs we've been able to just focus on this one thing for a while I mean with film who knows there's a long way uh a lot of things can happen with film. A lot of films that get written don't ever get made. But it's it's been really exciting just to spend time on one thing and to have the faith from that company. And we're getting great notes back from it. We're just about to start the second draft of that. So 
And you'll probably still be working, though, with all the people that you've worked with in the past. Because if things have gone well with people like Anton Deck and Debbie yeah. Williams, there's, there's more in the pipeline. Yes. Yeah, well, we're, we're, back. we're doing a couple of days on Britain's Got Talent in, in May for that show to cover for, for Andy. Um, and hopefully there'll be more, more Anton Deck bits to come uh, in the future. We love it. The thing is, we love working with those shows. It's very hard to... There's been the odd times where we've had to give up shows we like because other opportunities are there or things we've committed to where mm. we can't do it. Juggling it all, isn't and it? It's, and those are nice. Those are first world problems, like more than first, beyond first world problems. But but you, yeah, it is juggling and it's not wanting to... Write for Saturday Night Takeaways is just an absolute joy because not only they're great to, to write for, but there are so few shows out there where it's critically acclaimed. You know, it's one BAFTAs mm. and at the same time it's loved mm. and it's millions of people watch it and it's one of the closest things you've got to a point you know to tv that people can still talk about mm. and it's just joyous as well there's no real victims in it Do you know what i mean like everybody is like the, the jokes are all on them or fun and just the scale of it I, even when we're working on the show you, you're doing what and then they do something incredible in five some incredible hidden camera stunt that's lasted for a year they've been planning it yeah. and filming it yeah. and then five minutes there's another amazing <laughs> thing that they've done um so i hope you, you know i that that will be coming back. We love we collaborate naturally because we always do, and our model has always been a little bit. I think when we were younger, we looked at the way bands tended to work, and the bands that gave the songwriting credits to one person, like Oasis, didn't last very long. No, well now look at them. You see, you're yeah. still going. You're going. You've been going longer than them. But the bands that yeah, true enough. Yeah, but the bands that stick together that shared the songwriting credits would be. You know, Blur we loved and Radiohead and things, and you go, they stuck together because it's like more of a, it's a collective, yeah. and um, with three of us, the other advantages is you know when someone's on holiday too, can man the, man the man the work and keep it going, yeah. and you do have a bit, and you and you know, we don't often appreciate this, but uh, we've gone from making films in our front room while our mum was hoovering upstairs to these experiences to going through these things together is kind of special. I don't think we really fully maybe we'll be years before we realise how special these things are but we do find every time every now and again we can we're not in the middle of the work and we can just take a moment yeah. to, to to go we're at the Royal Variety Show or the Queen know, is laughing yes exactly you know or Ronnie Corbett's just one of our sketches and I think we because we we kept because we did day jobs and because we because we started back and we've done this all three together we do we, we're quite good at like Making sure we keep that perspective, mm. and when things are going wrong, when things have, things aren't getting if shows aren't getting commissioned or they've been cancelled or whatever, um, someone will go, oh, "Come on, we're doing all right. Let's move it up." And equally, when things are going well, someone will go, "All right, let's not get carried away." So there's always <laughs> someone to moderate it, you know. Yeah. To, to, to the, the, the highs are a little bit dampened, and the lows are yeah. we, we, we're around. So um, it, it helps. Three is the magic number. Yes. yes. Well, listen, it's been fascinating uh, hearing all your stories and, and the highs and the lows. And I'm fascinated as to what's coming, all the secret <laughs> stuff. You have to tell me in a minute what, yes, what's coming up. Thank you so much for talking to me today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks to Andrew for taking the time to talk to me in my kitchen. Now, I know I say it every week, but please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. We're on Podbean and Spotify as well. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks to Megan, who's been crazy busy having just got back from her travels and been on a hen weekend as well. But she was on full production duties this week. And thank you to her. We'll see you next week.